the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Today we'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. But to recap last week's text, it principally addressed the apostate Hebrew, the non-believer. These verses are used by some, as I mentioned last week, to challenge the security of the believer. The Arminian position on this rests principally on their interpretation of these verses. And now I spoke some weeks back about the security of the believer, but every time that we go into this, I'm going to reassert this because the enemy is ever working against waging war against the truth that you would move from who you are into your soul. That is the mind, will, and emotions. I reminded you that salvation is not just about forgiveness, and that's where a lot of uh, Christians lose their strength of confidence because they put it solely on forgiveness. And forgiveness is something we may have difficulty grasping as we fail and fall. And then as we hear condemning messages, even from our own brethren, they said, oh, well, you have disappointed God or you've fallen out of fellowship with God, which, by the way, is impossible. So we uh, tend to think that forgiveness is something that is transient, but it's not, and neither is salvation. Here's the thing, guys. A new birth can't be reversed. A new birth cannot be reversed. A new creation that is created with a new spirit and brought to life through its union with the Spirit of God cannot be undone, will not be undone, or changed. So it's not just about forgiveness. It would be about literally unraveling the work of God, and that is not even possible. verse we use all the time around here, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, joined into him by faith in him as Savior, he is a new creature, reborn, renewed. By the Holy Spirit, the old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. The old things, 
who you were without Christ. Your previous spiritual condition is no more. That's par ekomai. It is dead. It is passed into history. Old things that refer to your condition, that refers to your condition from birth. Archaeos, where we get our word archaeology from. It cannot be restored. It died with Christ. New things have come. Canos, newly made, not a remodel. Newly made or created, never used in all respects new. And this is interesting. The Greek actually defines it as unprecedented, novel, one of a kind. Now, every one of you is unprecedented, novel, one of a kind. And that doesn't mean just you're all Christians. That means that you are unique in your Christianity. You are uniquely formed. It is ludicrous to live life in comparison. That's a work of the flesh. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But to see yourself according to the way God sees you, knowing that you will uniquely express that life. That you will know God in a way that no other Christian before or behind you will ever know God. That your prayers are unique in his ears. You don't have to pray like the orators of, of yesteryear. You can, you can pray with the simplicity that is you. New, unprecedented. This is done by God and cannot be undone. So again, I will remind you that the miracle of salvation is not just about forgiveness. It's about a brand new you. Brand new you. Now, the author is principally writing to believers here. The apostate or the resolute unbeliever is, is being exposed in verses 4 through 6. And the author knows the mix of the attendees that he's addressing. So he points to those who have returned to Judaism, or those who have fallen away, as he calls it, and tells us that though they have heard it all, though they have been a part of your lives, a part of this ministry, they were never new creations. They were apostates. Remember, apostate is not entering in, it's standing off to the side. So though they were a part of everything, they were not involved in anything. Kind of like a lot of us guys when we went to the uh, high school dance. We're all standing against the wall, right? Not everybody. Just me, I guess, right? Well, if you've ever seen me dance, you'd know why. But this is the truth of it. Now, I want you to think about the context of this letter, okay? Which, again, the letter is from the Spirit of God. He is concerned with the condition of the saints. So he addresses their immaturity. That's principally what we've been talking about, their immaturity, the weakness of their faith. And the author is pressing the Hebrews to discipline their souls in faith. Now get the language right. What is he disciplining? Souls. Does he need to discipline the new creation? No. What is the likely unbelieving part of you? The soul, right? The mind, will, and emotion. So he says he's disciplining them, their souls in faith, not to return to the elementary principles of the messianic prophecies or the mosaic rituals. 
The author in chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, tells him, I have a lot to say concerning the Melchizedekian high priesthood of Christ, but you are just too immature. You're too immature. You are self-satisfied in your Christian life to understand what, or even want to understand what I have to tell you. So he is describing their spiritual condition and what I have pointed out and continue to point out to you, that this is not some random author that's pointing out their spiritual condition. It is the one who knows their spiritual condition. It is the Spirit of God. He tells them that they are dull, sluggish of thought, spiritually lazy, satisfied with what they already know, too immature to digest the meat of the spiritually mature. They are living on the milk of spiritual infants. Now, how would you like the Spirit of God to come tell you all that? We don't like to think of ourselves that way. But if you are not discovering the new mercies of God moment by moment, you are drifting that way. He tells them that they are unskilled. That is the Greek word apiros. And it means inexperienced, without experience. While they have heard the word, they have heard the truth, they haven't applied it. They haven't appropriated it. They're not living in it consistently anyway. They were inexperienced in appropriating the truth. So as I've said before, they are napios. That's the word he uses. Little infants, little children. Now, there's another dynamic at work here, which I haven't brought up, but it's very important to see. If we are spiritually weak, if we are immature, we live to the flesh, don't we? We walk according to the flesh. And it causes us to see ourselves according to the flesh. Carnal Christianity is living according to the flesh. It is returning to an identity in the flesh. And how is that identity established? How was it established? How is it maintained? Simple. Others. Flesh begets flesh, right? You are not unique in the flesh, by the way. The only place you're unique is in the new creation. But in the flesh, no. You look out there, they're all trying to be unique. They're trying to look unique. They're trying to dress unique, and yet they all end up looking the same. You're not unique in the flesh. We are the creation of our perceptions and observations of others, starting with our parents. The soul is a lemming, and whatever it's focused on is how it will duplicate itself. So if we're focused outward, guess what we're going to look like? That's right, the world. So, we are lemmings when we live to the flesh. We delude ourselves with the assistance of the enemies of God into believing that we can know ourselves apart from God. And that is a huge deception because I know Christians and counseled Christians that are still trying to know themselves but refuse to look at God. If you're ever going to find rest in who God created you to be, if you're ever going to find fulfillment naturally in the way you live, if you're ever going to find a place where you can say, this is who I am, it will be in the presence of God. It won't be in the flesh. And it won't be in a soul that's focused on the world. 
When we had young children, and we had one or two, we all, like all parents, had an awareness of how vulnerable children are to the influence of the world around them and their peers, even the adults they would come in contact with. Because they didn't have maturity, yet they didn't have the maturity to know good from evil or to be cautious concerning the subtle enticements of the world, we were concerned. We were protective, just as those of you who are parents have been, right? Well, one of the first lessons you teach your children is what? Not to go along with the crowd. Now, those of you who teach small kids know that this is, it's the pack mentality, the tribe mentality. And if one kid does something squirrely or wild, if you don't get that under control, guess what? We are all like sheep that have gone astray. But we're not turning our own way. We're turning the same way everybody else is. So all of them go squirrely, right? That's the way it works. When you have multiple kids, you see this at home quite often. You get one becoming silly, they all become silly. Now, I'm returning to our text. What he is concerned about is the maturing of this group of Hebrews. And they, because of their immaturity, are focused on what's around them. And in the midst of being focused on what's around them, the persecution has arisen from their Jewish brethren, and many of the Jewish brethren that were with them, Jewish in heritage, have gone back to Judaism. These are the ones that he refers to as the apostates. And what he's concerned about is that these immature lemmings will be looking around and saying, Well, they went back. How many of you have heard a kid say, well, Johnny did it. Well, Tommy did it, right? Well, mom, why can't I do this or that? So-and-so does it. And of course, the classic reply is if they all jump off a cliff, right? So he is concerned about them growing in faith and maturity. They are weak in faith. They are immature. They're being influenced by the apostates. They might be being influenced by the apostates who'd return to Judaism to avoid the persecution. So he contrasts the believers with those who had left. And that's what he did in those verses, 4 through 8, assuring them that these unbelievers had shared in the same experience and fellowship, but they had not truly embraced the faith. That is why they leave. In our text today, the author will take a softer approach as he addresses these believers. And we will be looking at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hebrews 6, verses 9 through 12. But, beloved, even though we speak to you in this way, we are convinced of better things concerning you and of things that accompany salvation. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown for his name in ministering to the needs of the saints, God's people, as you do, And we desire for each one of you to show the same diligence all the way through so as to realize and enjoy the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be spiritually sluggish, 
but will instead be imitators of those who, through faith, lean on God with absolute trust and confidence in Him and in His power, by, and by patient endurance, even when suffering, are now inheriting the promises. May God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Now, verse 9 begins with, but... So it is making reference, he's making them aware that there's going to be a contrast between what he is addressing or who he's addressing and the people he just previously addressed. And he addresses them as my beloved. That's agapetos. And it is from the word agape, which is the highest and truest love that has its source in God. And it is used nine times in the New Testament where God is actually speaking of Christ or to Christ. So we know that he's addressing believers here. And the author is writing to encourage these believers to begin to mature their souls by faith and truth. One theologian offers this paraphrase. The reason I have made these awful statements about apostates is not because I consider you whom I am addressing as apostates, for your conduct proves that this is not your character, and the promise of God secures that this doom shall not be yours, but so that you may be stirred up to steadiness in the faith and hope and obedience of truth by constant continuance in which alone you can, like those who have gone before you, obtain in all their perfection and promised blessings of Christian salvation. So the author is telling them, I'm confident. But what is he confident in? Is he confident in their faithfulness to serve in the church? Because the apostates did that. Is he confident in their knowledge of the Bible? Because the apostate had that. What is he confident in? He's confident based on several things, but the first thing, he's the Spirit of God who's speaking with confidence here. Secondly, he's confident because he has seen them in service of the brethren. Now, there's something we know about this is that The only time there's ministry, true ministry to the body of Christ is when the body of Christ, Christ through the body, ministers to the body, right? This is not a ministry of flesh. This is not prompted by flesh as though it seems like it is by the way people preach about it. You need to get out there and serve. You need to get out there and do this. You need to get out there and do that. Listen. What he's talking about in service is he's talking about a natural obedience whereby the Spirit of God moves you to go forward and touch others' lives where it's needed. That's what he's talking about. It's not a call to works. It is a call to allow the Spirit of God to flow. The author expresses a confidence in who they are, even though he has been very direct in his criticism previously. And again, the criticism is of their immaturity, not of their identity. God's never going to criticize your identity. The Spirit of God will be grieved when you act in an immature way. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, never interpret that grieving as God hammering you with condemnation. That's the enemy's lie. 
God doesn't do that. What does Romans 8, 1 tell us? There is no more of that, right? So it's not God giving you condemnation, but yet you feel this within. Well, that that you're experiencing is not the condemnation of God. Actually, it is exactly what it's supposed to be. It's an affirmation of his love and life in you. Because you've acted contrary to who you are, contrary to the way God has made you. You've acted in a way that's not natural. I can trip down these stairs and turn my ankle a certain way, and immediately I know that my ankle went in a direction that's not natural for me. Now, do I take that as the condemnation of God? Or the fact that I have tripped and did something that that my body couldn't naturally handle? Well, God does not condemn. Their immaturity, not their identity, and he is confident that they are still producing fruit. Now, here's the other thing. You don't produce fruit apart from the Spirit of God, and you don't have to be at a certain spiritual level to produce fruit. Have you read John fifteen five? What does Jesus say about those The branches that are connected to the vine, grafted in, what does he say? You might produce much fruit. You will produce fruit if you behave. You'll produce fruit if you walk with me closely. No, he says you will produce much abundant fruit. You know why it's abundant? Because it's his work. It's his fruit. It's not dependent upon you. (laughs) Now, if you want the joy, the pleasure of knowing the work of God in your life, the way we know it is through obedience. We don't know it through doing. We know it through obedience. Obedience is literally yielding yourself to the work of God that his life, his presence in you may flow through you and express itself, manifest itself through you. That's how we know. He says in verse 9, But, beloved, even though we speak to you in this way, we are convinced of better things concerning you, of things that accompany salvation. Better things in contrast to what was produced by the apostates, which in reality was just religious work according to the flesh rather than the fruit of the Spirit. Now, these better things are better than living to the flesh. There is a way that the new creation was designed to live and function. And these things are in complete agreement. Those things that he's called us to are in complete agreement with who we are. Now, this is the cool thing about obedience. Did God tell you you could breathe? Did you hear a voice? Did God tell you that you could have a heartbeat? Huh? Did he? Well, I would say that you're naturally being obedient to the, the work of your body. And hopefully it's working that way. The reality of it is, is that we were made in the new creation to function naturally in obedience. So when God calls us to something, whatever that may be in service or whether that be in give, whatever it is, it's basically like a parent standing before a child that's trying to learn to walk and saying, come on, you can do it. Come on, step forward. Come on. That's the call to obedience. It is 
a simple encouragement for you to act naturally the way you were made to act. Now that should be a huge relief. Because now you know that you can relax and yield to the Spirit of God and allow Him to naturally express Himself through you. Now, here's the key thing about it. If you're being obedient, then what is true of the Spirit is now coming through the soul. And that is the place where you are affirmed in this life. How many of you looked in the mirror and saw your Spirit this morning? Well, if you did, you probably ought to be in a casket somewhere. The truth is that we don't see our spirit. We see our body, don't we? And the manifestation of the spirit of God in and through the body is an affirmation to the mind, will, and emotion of the truth of who you are. The world and everything around you is trying to tell you something different. You are your career. You are your body. You are how you look. You are how people treat you. Again, going back to what I talked about earlier. So he speaks about better things, better way for the new creation to live. And then he says, they accompany, and that's the Greek word echo. Yes, same word we use, right? It's the Greek word echo, which signifies conjoined or inseparable. Now that's where I come from. The fact that the work of God, you're inseparable from the work of God. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.